Welcome to Captivated Minds. I'm Jake. And I'm Stan. This is our movie series, Movie Mayhem, and this week it is The Thing. One of our favorite Carpenter movies. It's up there with Halloween. Yes. I mean, oh God, Halloween. He did so good with Halloween. But The Thing, for for the time it was released. It was one hell of a movie. I, I give mad props to, like, the... The monster creator. Yeah, we, we actually talk about uh, the documentaries that you can find online on how they made the various creatures for this movie. And, and it, it's just mind-blowing. And It's, the, it's all practical effects. Right. And no CG, so, no nothing. And that's, that's what I love how movies used to be, where it was a lot of puppetry, a lot of robotics. It, it did cost a little bit more money, though. Yes, a lot of robotics, stuff that's like right. that. Animatronics. Um, CGI has gone a long way. Now, with that being said, CGI like has uh, been escalating gone. over the last 30 years. You look at what they did with Star Wars, okay? Star Wars when it began, it was models, it was it was puppets, it was um like they pretty much dressed horses in suits type of deal. It was like Jim Henson's creature shop sort of thing. When they redid it digitally, I don't was even get me so started. disappointed because you know you take to me it it's almost like a slap in the face to the the creators of the puppetry of like you know they took the time to do this to build these things and to build all the props and to build every individual thing so it all looks uniquely different and then just to go around and be like nope we're going to add some digital crap and just really shape it up right now we're going to i mean if you think about when uh George Lucas re did the re-release re re-release of those or even the uh prequels or updated indiana jones literally the prequels were done with just tennis balls and people in green suits and it's like come on i mean i get some special effects are good like uh, planet of the apes was really great that's a whole other thing though but to overuse cgi i think just really puts a damper in what we see in movies right so that's why i have such a love for the older monster movies like you you know that's why this one has a special place in my heart because when i was a kid and i watched the thing like it scared the crap out of me because you could see like the the moisture on the thing so it looked real you could see like the blood you could see the drool you know guts and the explosions and everything everything was tangible like you could feel it and then when like things opened up you could hear that you know gushing sound gross like crackling yeah sound that's right of of it opening and stuff so it was just i like now as i'm older and knowing movies are movies and and going through that whole thing mindset right I have such more respect for movies of an movies, older generation. Right, of an older generation. Now, if you listen to our last episode, we talked about uh, Big Trouble Little China. Uh, we are on a John Carpenter fix for the next few movies. We're trying to pick up the best kinds of movies we love and explore them in a deeper thought. This film seems to be a cult classic for horror fans, and it is an 80s classic if you really think about it. Let's dig deep and talk about the thing. Now, another reason why we picked John Carpenter is we couldn't really pick one no, one movie of his. No. Nope. Because he has this diverse weird... IMDb credits with like Christine, Assault on Precinct 13, The Fog, Halloween, The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China. He is very diverse in all of the movies that he does, and no two movies are ever the same. Yeah, it's, I mean, he just does so He's also good. a composer. Um. If you guys do have an idea of a movie we should watch, um, or God, even give us your review. Like maybe pick a movie that you want us to watch and then you give your review on it. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. So like email us at captivatedminds2 at gmail.com and that's captivatedminds, the number two at gmail.com. When was the first time you saw the thing? You said you were a kid, right? The first time I saw the thing, I think I was 
I was eight, eight or nine. Eight or nine. I remember buying it on DVD maybe around 11 or 12. I saw it on VHS. See, I didn't see it on VHS. I had a big old stack of horror movies that I bought when I was 12. Not a good idea when you're 12, <laughs> but the thing was probably in that stack. And I was I was a, on a big horror kick at the time. And I'm like, I've never seen this. So I popped that thing in and down that journey I went. Well, when I was younger, horror movies weren't a thing in my house, especially for yeah, us to watch. They weren't right? a thing in my house either. But when I went to my friend's house, like his mom let us watch horror movies. Because she figured, hey, you know what? You'll learn. One of these days, something's going to scare you. Yeah. So what we did was we'd buy a whole, like, a whole stack. You mean rent? Oh, yeah. Sorry. We'd rent because we'd go to an actual video store where you could rent movies. Oh, God. I miss those. So we would rent, God, like, nine at a time. I remember the day where you could do three for fives. Yeah. Like, you could, three for fives or, like, five, uh, five for a buck or. Something like that. They would have a deal. So we'd get a bunch of them, we'd go back to his house and watch them, and, you know, one of the movies was The Thing, and that's when I first watched it, and, you know, when I was a kid, it scared the crap out of me, because it just looked so real, and uh, you almost thought it was. It was versatile, it was really, like, tangible, and really, like, all the sounds and all the guts, like we were talking about, really pulled you in, and it was a thriller. Right, yeah. This week's film is the 1982 classic The Thing. It was made by John Carpenter and had a budget around $15 million. Opening weekend, it did not do as well and only seemed to make about $4 million. That is a huge difference. There's not a lot of money. uh, That's not a lot of money even by 1982 standards. In total, the film only made about $19 million. So it covered the budget and only made four. That's not very good. $15 $15 million may not really seem like a lot of money, but when you compare it to movies that are made nowadays for less and they make more money, it is kind of tough. The film is a universal film. Universal has made some of the best kinds of horror movies of all time, and at this period they wanted to explore various different types of avenues within the horror genre. Perhaps even things people had not thought of yet. In 1982, the thing was up against movies like Tron, Blade Runner, E.T., Creepshow, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, Conan, The Dark Crystal, and The Poltergeist. Look at all of those movies. That was a good year for 1982, if except I, for Halloween 3. I would probably would have spent my, God, months in the movie theater. Yeah. That was I, a good year. I would see every single one of them. Except for Halloween 3. Yes, except for Halloween 3. <laughs> The Thing was really up against some heavy hitters, and you can really see the creativity of the 80s horror films and 80s films in general within this year. It was like there was a boom of creativity, and everyone wanted to get their hand in the cookie pot and make some money. Well, with every year, there are movies that stand out and movies that don't. The Thing seemed to age better over time. It's like one of those cult classics that you can just watch over and over again. The film stands the test of time as it was not a big success at the time. It was filmed in British Columbia, Alaska, Los Angeles, and on the Universal lot, uh, stage 27. Real? It was filmed in Alaska? I would say the exteriors were filmed in Alaska. Oh, that makes sense. With the helicopter shots and the things like that, that would have probably been, would have been the, uh, the exteriors that were filmed in Alaska and British Columbia. Right, yeah. Because you can see at certain cut points where the set is and where it was exterior. Yeah, yeah, if you do pay attention to it, you can see it. I do pay attention to that shit. (laughs) What's the film really about? Well, the theme of the film is really about trust, isolation, and a, a potential infection taking over and duplicating you perfectly. We can see clear elements of the invasion of the body snatchers just from a distance with this film. If you really look at the core of the film, it's about destruction of man and it's its own hand in a way. Man pulls from alien. Man pulls alien from the ice. Alien turns into man. Alien becomes man. Man versus man. What if the whole thing was not necessarily a dream, but like they all just went nuts, nuts, and they all had like the same type of psychotic break. Right, psychotic break. If you think about it, that could have been it too. It's it's based in Antarctica. Yeah. Right? Antarctica is extremely cold. It's very isolate. And when these people are 
stuck at these different uh, outposts. outposts. It's very true that they actually get cut off for months. Cabin fever is a real thing. We we explore it sometimes too in the winter when you are stuck in a single oh. location for an extended period of time and you can't really go anywhere because of the cold or the snow or the environmental factors. Well, I mean, look what happened this year. We literally had winter where everyone was stuck inside. No one could do anything. And then as soon as it started to get nice, we had COVID. <laughs> and then snow <laughs> and in then, May. And then snow again in May. And, you know, we're finally starting to get out of the house and starting to enjoy but ourselves. But we still have COVID. But we still have COVID. <laughs> Who's in the film? Kurt Russell, Wilford Brimley, T.K. Carter, Keith David, Richard Dystart, Chris uh, Hanahan, Peter Mahoney, Richard Masur, Donald Moffat, Joe Polis, and Thomas Waits. I'm Wilford Brimley, and I have diabetes. 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 When I was watching this movie for the hundredth time, I started to really think about who the main character was. While Kurt Russell goes for the most screen time, we do notice his arc is clear from a rational person uh, thinking about the group and going with ch- uh, thinking about chess and to, uh, to an irrational person sitting by a fire. The chemistry between the characters seemed to be clear and evident. The tension between these men is so strong you can almost cut it with a knife or burn it with a flamethrower. Yeah, it's, it's very weird. At the beginning, they start out as All like, friends, like buddy buddies. really good friends. And then near the end, well, from when the thing comes into pr- play until the end, Kurt Russell becomes that guy who just thinks only to himself and he trusts not a soul. And that that's like real mind-numbing, the fact that it changes so quickly. This one, this one particular guy, Keith, Keith Davis' character, was like his really good friend, and then all of a sudden, things he, escalate. He turned so quick as to I don't know if I can trust him. That's right. Keith David and Kurt Russell really bring their performances in this movie, and their chemistry shines throughout the film. It is almost like they are given their own time to shine in a way. Wilfred Wilfred Brimley just seems to be a total badass in this flick, and you can really see his acting chops in full gear. It's almost like he turned it up a cut couple of notches just to really bring the heat down. Yeah, I know. He's just when he was destroying all that, all that radio equipment with the axe. Yeah, and like throwing guys. I but, mean, he must have been really going at it, right? I'm surprised he just didn't die of a heart attack. He always uh, looks old, right? He, yes. There's Has a, he always been 78? There's a lot of actors like that. Look at Morgan Freeman. You ever see him young? I have. Have you really? Yeah, there's a couple of movies in the 90s where he looks young. There's uh, the one with Denzel Washington where there's Civil War. They're fighting in the war, Civil War. Well, he does look th- young. He he doesn't really. To me, he looks the same age. He, he just, looks a little younger. He just has, like, darker hair. That's right. <laughs> Fun facts about the film. The Thing was beaten out by E.T. If it was in theater, I would have gone to see The Thing. What about you? Now, it depends on how old I was. Okay. If you're if you're this so age if right I'm now, this age right now, I would and you're see, at a movie theater that's yeah. open, and you have the thing in one screen and you have ET in another, I would see the thing. I would too. Um, now I'm wondering if here's the other thing I'm wondering if ET beat out the thing because of who the director was. That makes sense. You know Steven Spielberg. Spielberg. That's right. I mean I understand at this time he was still. This up and coming. He had Jaws. He had Jaws under his belt, though. Right. He just did Jaws. He did. What else did he do at this time? Um, he helped George Lucas with Indiana Jones. Yep, but that was a couple of years later. Was that later? Oh yes, it was later. Um, so he really had Jaws. Jaws was uh, really his big one under his belt. Yeah, that's true. So I'm wondering what factor it was. Maybe because a lot of people back. Back in those, well, even now, they go for family oriented oriented movies. Yeah, I mean that's that's what it, I mean that's what we look for. My wife and I hardly actually go to the movies just together. That's right. Most of the time, we're going to the movies for to the kids for the kids, yeah. and we're seeing family ran mm-hmm. movies and stuff. Yeah. You're not going to take the kids to go see the thing, are you? Um, well, you might. Here's the thing: they've seen it. Yeah. Uh, mostly because I saw it when I, you were a kid, when I was their age. Yeah. Certain movies like that, like if I saw it when I was a kid, it makes sense. Then You'll I'll expose sh- it to I'll, them a little bit. Right. I'll yeah. show it because 
I feel they have the same like mindset as I I am. It is just a movie. Yes, and that's how like it's fake blood and fake guts. Nothing is real. Now, if I hadn't seen the movie, I would not take them to it. That makes sense. That's the thing. Like the thing. The thing. So when it came to like. E.T., everyone's going to go see E.T. because it's you know, family it's friendly. It's family friendly. Okay, you have this family, you have this alien. How do they deal? Right. Yeah. Um, it was also critically panned. I don't know why. The plot seems to make sense. The characters have an arc. The camera work and editing are great. It is not a remake from a thing from another world. Uh, John Carpenter really wanted to make his own thing, so he pulled from the novella, not from the film. Stan Winston, who is a special effects expert is uncredited on the film but he did work on the film kurt russell threw real dynamite in the in the film did he really yep i did not know that yep so like was it the scene when he tossed it down the the hole Uh, i don't i think that was the set but i think it was towards the end he threw real dynamite good for him he almost exploded himself though because it was real dynamite could you could you imagine us losing a national treasure like, like Kurt, Kurt Russell because he threw dynamite? The amount of movies that would never have happened. Oh, my God. Uh, I would be so upset. Yeah. I mean, you would never know, but no. like now that I know, I'd be so upset. <laughs> now, I don't know if this is true or not, um, but I've heard in outposts within Antarctica, before they start each season, they watch The Thing, and they watch The Thing from Another World, and I think they also watch the 2011 remake. They, they get I, the group together. I would not want to. They get the group together, and they have a projector, and they watch all three movies back-to-back before their season starts. Okay. All right. Just to, like, take... To mentally prepare themselves in case it happens. All right, everyone, take notes. That's right. This is what we need to do. This is what we don't do. That's right. Why is the film a classic? It is an absolute classic because of the special effects were all done practically, which we talked about a little bit already. It also shows how special effects can really make or break a film at this time. We often see modern movies with special effects, and it is clear that they're using computers, but at this time, they didn't have the computers. They had really things that were handmade by people to really work separate, like the spider head. Uh, I know. Like, the spider head was... I believe it was on remote controls. The spider head was one of my favorite scenes. Like, it really was. You just watch this thing peel off the body. And they just scurry. Hit the floor. And just walk, and the look on the guys' faces when they turned around—it was, was an oh shit moment. Was it looked genuine? Yeah. Too. Like, yeah. oh shit! There, I didn't know it could fucking do that. That's right. <laughs> it's also a classic because it adds to a list of movies uh, that John Carpenter and Kurt Russell both have done. Their working relationship seemed to be stronger after each movie they do. If you think about it, the film. It's just nine people stuck in one location trying to figure out who the murderer is. It is basically a whodunit, but with elements of science fiction. It's like Clue. It is. No, no, really. <laughs> no, really. If it you is. think about it, it's like Clue. Clue. Who, who, who done it? Right. I didn't even. I didn't even think of that. But yeah, yeah it, it is like. Oh, it's this person. That's and, right. Wow. Who's the serial killer among the group? Uh, The opening scene is a really massive ship that is crashing down to Earth. At first, we aren't sure what year it is or where the ship has crashed, but as we go through the film, we kind of see what it is. There's also a moment after the opening title sequence where the thing appears. The opening image really sets the stage for the whole film. As a viewer, we're questioning things and questioning what's going on, and as the film progresses that we're having more and more questions, not as enough answers. So it adds to the mystery of the film in its own way. The first character we are introduced is Mac, Kurt Russell's character. He is playing chess on a computer, drinking what appears to be scotch. This is a clear indication that he is smart and likes to be a couple moves ahead, but he knows when he can relax and not relax. We also see that gasoline fire are set up very early on in the film and is also payoff the further we get down into the film. From what we see of Mac, we can assume that he can beat the thing at its own game or does he always have to be two steps ahead in this deadly game? It seems like he has to be a couple steps ahead. because he He's just... the only one that's playing a game on a computer, too, if you notice it. Yeah. And the only one that's really drinking heavily. If, if you see the other characters, you got... Um, you got... 
God, Childs and that other one freaking smoking weed the whole time. Yeah. Watching uh, reruns of a dating show, was it? I think it was a game of some uh, kind. Yeah, some dating sort of game, yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Um, you have um, the other guy on the radio yep. all the time trying to get a hold. The guy with the dogs. The guy with the dogs. He's always with the dogs. He's always a. That's who he he is always around. He's yep. never. It doesn't seem like he's ever around people. That's he's right. always with, with the, the dogs. dogs. Um, some questions we had, or I had, while we were watching the film. Uh, why does the Norwegian man throw the grenade behind him instead of in front of him? He's he's been missing the dog for a good five minutes or so, and he has a clear shot of the grenade, but he throws it behind him. Come on, it's, man! And here's the thing: he's wearing gloves, right? But it's like the grenade's pulled so, behind him. Though. So he's like he goes to he goes to throw like throw his arm back. Yeah. With the gloves, you would think it would stay in his hand that's because right. there's more friction. That's right. So he, like, throws back, and that's when the grenade flies back. Now, do you think it's the wind from the helicopter pulling the grenade backwards? I don't think so. I just think he just had an idiot moment. Well, here's the other thing. Maybe he wasn't well informed with weapons. That could have been it. He could have been the pilot. He, he could have been either the pilot. He or could have medic. been just a regular scientist. You don't know. And me and you talked about this. Yeah. We talked about how they should do a like a prequel to the, the thing, thing. W- about that story. Right. About the Norwegian team. And what happened. And what happened. And then them leading into, into the, the thing. thing. Um, my other thing is I was watching the movie with subtitles on just in case I missed something. And even with the subtitles on, they still don't explain what the Norwegians say. No, I did. I I looked at that too. I did. Yeah, I did too. I was like, "What the hell are they saying? Something about devil?" I don't like. I was trying to read their lips and watch it at the same time, and I had to watch the scene a couple of times, and it, you still don't see what it is. Yeah, but yeah, it's. I I think maybe he just wasn't that in tune with weapons, and like he didn't know how what to about, control. What about the other guy though? Well, the other guy died, right? He died in the crash, or no? He was shooting. Oh yeah, he was shooting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So, so maybe one was in tune with weapons, the other one wasn't, or either that they learned quick. Yeah. So when they shoot the second guy, the body convulses. Now, no other bodies convulse when they're shot. That's the only one. Now, does this indicate that the pilot was the thing? It could. Um, either that, or he's trying to go with there. In real life, yeah. If you do, if someone does get shot in the head, depending on where they get shot, it actually sends uh, a shockwave of nerves down the body. I don't know why they would put that in a movie. So it could be the fact that he was the thing, but you would then think because he got shot that it would he would automatically turn. Yeah. Because like the one guy died of a heart attack. Yeah. And then he turns. turns. Yeah. Early on in the film, we see characters all have a general understanding of who they are and what they see. We're at a round table, and these guys all kind of converse. Uh, there's this one guy. We're not really sure what he, who he is, but it's explained later on. He's a medical, a medical assistant. Don't you think that if this guy was a medical assistant, he would have been told about it or kind of like experienced about it? Of all the other deaths that were shown in the film... His is the only one that's not shown. He was a bearded guy with glasses that was a medical assi- medical assistant that's death was not seen on screen. Why is that? I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Remember the body when they go outside in the snow that's in ashes mm-hmm. and burnt? That's the guy. That's the guy. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, because you see he, he, had, he had a flame. That's, he had a flare. Uh, right. And he saw someone walk by and that was, that that was, was it. it. And, and then, then we cut to the next scene where his body is ashes. He's the only he's the only death that's not seen on screen. I'm wondering if it was the actor himself that didn't want his character seen killed on screen, or maybe they were cut for time and they're like, well, instead of showing the death and spending more money because they were going over budget already, right. they were just like, okay, we can have a body there and just keep and, keep the right and keep just, it going. You know, it's going to be assumed that he was killed by the by thing, something, yeah. yeah. When they find the ship for a brief second, there's also a fade to white. Now, this is very uncommon because within the film, there's also a fade to black. Now, as there, as both of them are cuts, which in- indicate uh, transitional periods, I wonder if the fade to white and fade to black was set up for the ending in a subtle way. 
That's what. I, yeah, I mean, because I saw a fade to black early on. It's, it's a transition scene, and then there's in the middle there's a fade to white. Yep. And again, and then the ending. Right, and then the ending. What happened to the body that was being morphed? A body is shown being morphed into, but we don't really get a backstory. It's just it is what it is. So I, I mean, I would have liked to have seen the backstory of what happened to the guy that has the two faces. Yeah, I mean that would have been interesting. Interesting. But instead, we're just kind of told about it. Right. Here's another one for you. A hundred thousand years of ice. How do you know that? Are you just guessing? There's the, the when they're at the, the ship itself. So they they look at the ice for maybe two minutes. Now two minutes. They kind of do explain it a little bit, but by, not, not by in talking, detail. By talking about cores. That's and right. Stuff. Now, you're right. The average person is not going to know. No. The hundred layer, hundred thousand layers of ice. Right. I mean. I get with, it. You know some that, stuff. With but that not... being said, the amount of stupid shit that I watch. That's right. I, I've i watched them do, like, deep core drilling in Antarctica, and, you know, they can actually go back that far. So, if, if you rewatch the movie knowing that knowledge, you kind of see that, okay, where they're standing, the guy's looking at how many feet down they are, and he kind of gives a rough estimate uh onto like okay we drilled down that far before and we got ice that was a hundred thousand years old so that's but, but they're only there for two minutes though right so it's i mean that seems like kind of a, a far stretching guess a hundred thousand years it does, but if they are are they looking at the sediments of the ice or are they looking at the layers of ice that's the question i was getting i at. think they're looking at how deep it was so if you're drilling down to a t- certain depth you're yeah. pulling up like a core sample yep. that is 20, 30 feet long. Deep, yep. And you can go all the way to the bottom and you go, okay, that's a, that's 100,000 years or, or something like that. I think that when you're doing that job for so long, you can just like estimate kind of tell. and go, okay. I'm thinking it's a real estimate, not like an accurate Guess. number. Yeah. Here's another one for you. What kind of computer was Mac using to play chess on? Was he using a Mac? I no Macs weren't really. Oh no, it would be like an IBM or something like that. IBM, yeah. Okay, and then here's the other one, part two of this one. What kind of computer are they using out to figure out uh, the genetics? And why would Antarctica have a freaking smart computer to figure out genetics? (laughs) I I know. Here's the thing. I get Wilfred Brimley's uh, (laughs) like a sort of medical person, or they do stuff like that. But how the hell are you going to know, like, genetics on a 1980s computer? I <laughs> I mentally couldn't wrap my head around it because, honestly, I didn't see a, a, a computer until, like... Mid-90s. Mid-90s. Yeah, so how do they have... They've got two compu- at least two or three and computers he, at this Arctic station that, like, can do now, advanced shit. Now, the one that Mac is using yeah it's just a chess computer i understand it okay it's just chess because one it's thing. just one chess. thing it's chess that's what he's using it for but how do you get this computer that can and it shows like yeah on the screen it shows <laughs> the little dots conforming and like turning into the man it, and then like turning back when you're shit. watching it it just looks like he's playing asteroids or something it does but like <laughs> how why would you need a computer like that in, in antarctica unless you think oh no something's going to happen right yeah, that's. <laughs> I never even really thought about it until now, but you're right. It's like why, why, how did you, how did you get the funding for a computer? That's right. Like that? That's right. To have three of them too. Right. Another question I has: What's up with the dirty underwear? We see it a couple of times, but there's no real explanation. And so he, there's an explanation when people are transformed; they take off their clothes. Yeah. These are like skid rows, like skivvy underwear. They're like brown and, and shit. And like, Mac and Mac sits there and he plays with it. Forever. Like, I know. Well, like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's putting his hand through the holes and like holding it and holding shit. it and stuff. And it's like, dude, like, will you wash what? your hands? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Here's another one that's a big one. In the film, there's a consistent blue light everywhere. Now, when the emergency lights are turned on, the blue lights become more predominant. No. So, are the emergency lights on all consistently? Most of the lights we've seen in the film are white or yellow. Some of the lighting is just seemed to be a little weird. Now, you see a lot of blue and reds. And when the blues are on, they're emergency. But when the emergency lights are not on, the blue lights are still on. Where the hell are the blue lights coming from? Um, 
I'm thinking they purposely use blue lights for the the cooling to- effect, the the, t- the tone of the movie. You, but, you, you know, but there's shots where you, ha- you have Kurt Russell red on one side and blue on the other. I know, which is really weird. But, yeah, but uh, that's what I'm thinking to make it look cold. Yeah, that's that's where I'm going with it. To mood, the, the mood, and right. theme. Yeah, because I noticed that too that it was there was a lot of blue and stuff, and then especially like if. Let's say there was a hole in the side of a building and like ice was coming in. When they had the blue light shining on the the fake snow and ice, it really made it look real. Yeah, like snow and ice. Yeah. Um. Did you notice superstition playing in the background? No. Yeah, that's one of the songs that's playing in the background by Stevie Wonder. Really? Yeah, superstition. Wait, is that the one he he was on the boombox with? Kind of. Yeah, I believe. I think that's it. Where, or it, where he gets told to like turn it down. Yeah, and that's, he, su- that's superstition. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Here's here's a little bit of a stretch, but let's see if you follow along. The number four fifty two is on one of the vehicles. I believe it's on the helicopters. Four plus five is nine. Nine is the total number of people within the outpost. Two is the number of people left at the end of the film. Was this math thought out, or could it have just been a coincidence? Ooh. God. I would hope it was thought out. I hope it was thought out, too. Because that is a nice little Easter egg. That is a nice Easter like egg. Like, if someone was really trying to look for it and stuff. Yeah. So, let's let's hope. Let's hope it was an Easter egg. Right. When all these events do take place within a single day, or is it just a couple of hours? Because we're never really told how long... This time period is given. I'm going to say it, it might have been a few hours, but we don't know. That's the only thing I'm questioning is how long did this one film take place in? Because they never really say. We, it, we see the sun never, go down. It never really says. But that's it. So we see the sun I up wanna, at one point and I want to say one full day. 24 hours? Because the look at when the, the dogs transform. That's during the, the opening, right. so that's Which, early on. That's daytime, so or when that's the, nighttime. The dogs transformed was nighttime, so everything happened like mid morning, afternoon, and then the dog transformed at night, and then, then everything happened the night after. So I would say a full twenty four hours. hours. Right, that makes sense. Okay, here's another one. How does the thing know how to grab the explosives? Now we're seeing that things can copy into other people, but we're we haven't seen is that they can copy their memory or thoughts. How does the thing know what to grab when it grabs the, uh, the trigger or the, yeah, the bomb trigger? Hmm. I never even thought of that. Now, can it absorb thoughts well, and I'm or maybe, memories of someone or is it just maybe. a physical reaction? I'm thinking maybe because the, the guys that actually become the thing they are still holding on conversations and still acting themselves and all that stuff. So maybe there is that transfer of knowledge that happens. But it's never really explained. It's never really explained. It's like an understated truth or something like that. Yeah. So on that point, how does Blair know how to make the ship if he's never seen the ship before? Right. But wasn't Blair a thing? He was, but how does he know how to make the ship, though, if he was turned into the thing? Again, uh, information isn't really known if it's stated no, past. Right. So it's just implied, that's really. That's right. Like, yeah. okay. Some information goes and some doesn't? Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's what it is. Like the, it's, I'm, I'm thinking the thing, the thing has all of its knowledge and then it, it just abs- transfers it, just, it into the person it becomes. Right, and absorbs their knowledge okay. type of thing. That makes so, more sense. Like if I was to absorb you yeah you'd have my knowledge. i would have your, your knowledge. my knowledge and your, your knowledge. knowledge okay type of deal that's what i'm th- that's what i'm now thinking. how does blair change so quickly we're told that it takes time for the thing to change but it doesn't really that was the one nitpick See, the only thing i could think of is that blair blair turns early on and he's been the thing the whole time and he was the thing the whole time like because he's sitting there playing with the blood samples. That's right. And stuff. So I'm thinking like... But he doesn't have access to the blood samples, remember? Because the other guy has the keys and the other one has the, the lock, whatever. Right, but yeah. he was playing with that DNA 
you know, the computer with the... Yes, 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 yes. The specimen. Yes. So he was playing with the specimen. So that's where I'm thinking. And then when he sits there and goes, hey, you need to watch this guy and you need to watch that guy. He's trying to throw... Distract. Throw them off the scent that he's... Yeah. The thing. Now, this movie also reminded me of The Faculty. When I was watching yes. it this last time, I yes. was like, I didn't even think about it. The Faculty. God, yeah. that's such a good movie. Faculty, the same thing. you know. You I thought of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and then I was like, the freaking Faculty. God, that is a good movie. Yeah. that Maybe uh, we'll do that on our maybe, list. Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll add that to, to our, our list. Cause I took, oh, my God. That is a good movie. That's like disturbing behavior. Yeah. There's a bunch of 90s movies that are really good that not many people talk about anymore. No, not, hardly ever anyone talks about it. So now we're going on to our next segment, our favorite scenes. I think the opening scene really sets the stage because you got Mac drinking the booze and playing chess, and then you have the alien ship crashing down. So my favorite scene yep. is the the scene where the, the doctor is performing like CPR. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gets his arms ripped yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's then, an, and oh, then, that's an oh shit moment. Right, and then the spider head. You know, that whole, that whole sequence. That's right. my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. So they were they used a double amputee when that guy got his arm ripped off. So it's it's an actual guy that missing his arms. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. And so they when they grip it and rip it, he really didn't have arms. So it was all fake. Nice. Uh, Wilford Brimley going nuts. That's another great scene. That that also because that just shows like that just shows Brimley. Yeah. Like, being. Just this like tough old guy. That's just right. Didn't give a shit. The dog scene. That was the first oh shit moment I came across yeah. to, and we were like, oh shit, what's going the, on? Because when you're like, I think back to when I'm first when I was first watching it, right? Yeah. And you just think, okay, there's a dog going right, in with there, other dogs. There's a dog, and then all of a sudden, like this, the other dogs start acting up, and then all of a sudden, his face opens up and starts attacking. The tentacles that right. shoot right out, and the blood that kind of grabs them all in. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? You know, it's still watching it to this day. It's like, what the hell? The the monologue that Kurt Russell gives. And now, he doesn't have a lot of monologues in this film. He has a couple of mostly one-liners. But this is the first time we hear him do a monologue where he talks about us being human and some of us not being human. Now, it's quick to the point and it doesn't need much explaining. I really thought that was kind of neat because we don't see Kurt Russell doing a lot of full-on page monologues and let alone to a crew of guys have you noticed most of the movies he does with like carpenter he's always talking to himself yeah there's a couple of one-liners <laughs> we noticed that in uh, big trouble little china with little pork China. chop express right. yeah so but i mean it's i i like having his character kind of like he's he's recording it for the record just in case anyone finds it but he's also kind of like talking out loud that's right. To, uh, like, figure things out. That's right. I did find some some of these moments kind of funny. Mac wants the flamethrower. That was f- just hilarious. I was dying. And, and no thought. No. Mac wants the flamethrower. Why? The, Mac wants, wants the flamethrower. Flame and then yeah, all of a sudden he dying. shows up with the flamethrower. I'm just dying. Uh, when, yeah, we talked about the arms getting ripped off. You got to be kidding me. And then blowing up the spider head. That was another oh shit See, moment. that yeah. was the other thing. Be- and the, like I said, the See, look- there's humor in it. But it's small and dark. It's small and dark, but the look on their faces is freaking priceless. Because that one guy, that the stoner dude, yeah, you know, you can, you know, he's been stoned this whole time, and that's that, why he's talking about like the the Native American thing that he, <laughs> whatever he mentions, like they've been owning South America for years or some right. shit, whatever it is, yeah. So like because he's been stoned the whole time, now he's like seeing this shit, yeah, and you just you see this look of like panic when he sees his spider thing crawling. That was another floor. question I had. How, if he's a stoner, where the hell is he getting weed in Antarctica? That's the other thing. How, how, how? the fuck does he do that? How is he? He yeah. always has he always has had a something. Joint yeah, his, and where's he mouth. getting it in, in Antarctica? <laughs> I wonder if he's growing it maybe. in Antarctica? Because technically in Antarctica anything can happen. I mean, it's it's one of those like non-sanctioned like areas. Areas, yeah. The blood test. Let's talk about the blood test scene. I like how the doctor comes up with this, like... There's a couple of different this, tests they try to do at first, and it doesn't really... This overthought... Process. Process, right? He yeah. thinks of this overthought process about exposing their blood to tainted blood. That's right. And seeing what, what works and doesn't work. When all it does is it comes down to just taking blood and damaging it. That's right. Like... Burning it. Burning it. 
And that scene, the tension just escalates so damn quick and so damn fast that you're almost on the edge of your seat going, oh, shit, what's yeah, about because, to happen? Uh, again, when I when we remember watching the first time, you didn't think anything was going to come out of that no. little freaking glass no. he had in his hand. No. And all of a sudden, like, these tentacle things, again, just freaking pop See, out. Every, and... every time he burns the blood, too, you're like, okay, the first one's fine. Oh, shit, the second one. Oh, shit, like... Each time yeah. it's slower, it's more methodical, it's thought out, the pacing is a little bit slower, and when you get to that third one, you don't know what the hell is no. going to happen. Uh, another good scene, the scene where Mac comes back into the group after being outside for a while, and he pulls the TNT. Right. That's a good one. He's like, any of you mothers get close to me, I'm going to blow it all to hell. Uh, and I love and how... I, uh, his, he has a good explanation for it, though. And I love how every time it's like, no human can survive that. And it's always Mac. Yeah. Like, Mac's always, always like, there. That's right. Like, oh, there's no way a human could, could make it through there without a guideline and make it back. That's right. Let's talk about the ending. Now, we can't talk about the whole film without mentioning the ending. So if you want to go watch the film and come back, because we don't want to really spoil it, but if you've already seen it, let's get into it. The film is more than 30 years old, so we're going to give some spoilers. At the end of the film, once the camp really starts to burn, there's only two people at the fire, Mac and Giles. Now, at this point, we don't know who the thing is, but we have some clues along the way. At some points, it is shown to us that Mac was alone for a good hour, but on the other hand, Giles went missing for a good amount of time, too. Both of these men are sitting beside the fire. Mac is close to the fire, so you can see his breath coming from his body. Giles is further away from the fire and he's also been outside longer so his breath isn't seen it could be Giles it could be that Giles is colder and that way there he doesn't see his breath it is also possible that both men are the thing but they have no idea if the other one is either a single clue we do see though is Giles is drinking scotch now we know only Mac has been drinking this stuff throughout the whole movie and now Giles is the is drinking scotch with Mac. Well, who's to say that scotch? It well cuz we see the label. Yeah, but what I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking. He Mac wants to share a drink with Giles, right? Yeah. What if Mac actually put something else in there? Like let's say kerosene. Yeah. Because as soon as he he doesn't take a sip himself. He gives it to Giles. That's right. And Giles drinks it does not make a comment. It doesn't like flinch, doesn't do anything. And then you slowly see Kurt Russell smile a bit. You now, know what I mean? Now it could also be that they're both human and they don't know either. That, Th- there's a, there's a couple of different theories. We that, can go down that, that, that could, road. That could be too, that they're both human. They don't know. So you know what? We're just going to sit here and die. That's right. Um, it, they both uh, could be the thing. It, they both could be the thing, which you would think if they're both the thing, they would both like, not if they don't know. See that? Yeah, see that's the weird thing. That's the weird thing. We never really know who the thing is, and it leaves us with more questions. Just like we mentioned in the beginning of the film, we have questions, and as it escalates, all we're getting is questions, not answers. We get some answers, but not absolute questions. Right. Now, let's talk about the remake. Oh boy. Uh, so, let, if I may. Go for okay. it. I got a little bit of stuff on the remake, too, but I'll let you get when, into it first. When I am watching the original, I can sit there and watch it. That's right. Right? You can be sat down and just and wa- I've go seen into it, it a million times. I've probably can, seen it 110 times now. And I can I can just sit there and watch it. That's right. doesn't matter what's going on around me. I can literally put my phone down and I, just I can be just into it. watch it. I cannot watch the thing and, let's say, be doing research for our podcast. That's – I can't do it yeah. because I'm paying attention to the movie. That's I, right. I can't watch the thing and pay attention to my children. That's – I mean – You know what I mean? Yeah. With the remake, I spent most of my time on my phone playing games. See, I, I didn't do that. I was watching it for the podcast. Well, the thing is – but there were so many different things wrong with it that I couldn't really get into it. There were so many dull moments yeah. in it. Yeah. That's where I was on my phone. That's right. right. 
there are certain parts where it was like, okay, it's starting to pick up. You can almost tell by the the pacing, the, the pacing, that's the right, pacing of it. Yeah, I hate, I hate that. It, it was slow paced. I hate when you can tell that something's going to happen because the mood changes. The jump cuts, uh, the, the like, jump scares. I mean, I didn't like, I didn't care for them. No, it wasn't scary. So I thought the 1982 film had tension seeped throughout. And each scare was on purpose. Each scare had a meaning. Each scare led you to be like, what the hell am I going to see next? In this new two th- in the 2011 thing, which I have, by the way, I don't know why. Um, oh, it's so, not, do, so do I. <laughs> it's not as scary. It's not. It's not as It's not. As I scary. wonder if they did that on purpose to get wider audiences. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Right. I don't know. To me. It has a couple of good actors. To me, I... That's the thing they do. There's good actors in it. Joel Egerton, I believe, is in it. And it's like, it's always almost a waste of their talent. That's right. Uh, I, another thing I noticed is there was way too much exposition. Yeah. Way too much. They were explaining tons of crap. Okay, just show me. Don't tell me. I want to see what's going on. I don't want to be told what's going on. In the 1982 film, we're shown what's going on, not seen. And that's the big difference. Show, mm-hmm. don't tell. Yeah, and that's what I love about that movie. Like, just just do the movie. That's right. Just do it. Don't explain. And that's where I was getting bored. That's right. I was right. getting bored with these long explanations that's about right. things. I'm, I was getting bored with them pretty much giving... It was dry. ...giving detail about every character. And it's like... Just show me. Show me. Care. Don't tell me. Just give me a little bit of details. Okay, I'll figure it out as we go along, but don't really, you know, do that. Now, I understand where they were trying to go with the movie and this is this goes back to where we we wanted them to do a prequel because in in this reboot it's them who find the creature that's right it's them who find the the thing in the ice the thing in the the ufo in the ice and stuff like that and it's it's their site that first gets attacked that's right right but it doesn't it doesn't end like it's going to lead into the other yeah, you know what I mean, and I wish, I wish they did did what we were thinking. Of. I I give it a couple of years and they'll remake it again. I'll put money on it now. Oh yeah, money. The way they're remaking things nowadays. Not anyways. every remake is good though. No, some are good, some are bad. Yeah. But I, I I give it a couple of years before Universal remakes the thing again. Oh yeah, definitely. Or I they mean, live. I saw I saw this. I think it's fake. I'm sure it's fake. Yeah. Okay. And it was, it was. Hey, they're planning sequels for They Live. So they live. They love. They die. They laugh. Oh come on! That's too. That's funny. But it's that's, funny. But no, it's they, funny. And I read that, and I was like, "This has to be fake." I couldn't find if it was fake or not, but I'm pretty sure it, it is. Fake. But if they did that, I'd be so disappointed. I think the 2011 one was kind of a bomb too. It didn't make a lot of money. Not that it, I remember. Not I mean, that not that I remember because honestly, for a couple of years, I even forgot they even remade it. Yeah, so did I. Uh, for a, a long time, I I can't remember when I purchased it. I probably um, 2011 when it came out. I think mine was more recent, like maybe 2015, yeah. maybe. Yeah. When I actually first saw it, and I was like, well, I mean, I'm not. It's not good. It, it's, I'm not disappointed that I didn't see it right away. Yeah, <laughs> if I would, if I had paid eight bucks to see it in theater, I would have been pissed. Or ten bucks in theater, right. or even thirty bucks in a the theater if you're going in the city. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those where I like to have it in my collection to have it. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean it's good. I would prefer to show this one to my kids before the other. It, it's, better that, for, it's better for kids, it's I guess. Not, yeah, it's not as gory. That's the, that's the thing I didn't like. like there's about no, it. there's no gore in it. It's all supposed to be suspense or built up tension. Where yeah, in the, it's a, the, in it's the eighty-two more, movie, it was gore and violence, and it was there. It's more of a thriller. I would say melodrama or drama. Mel, yeah, drama, mel- drama. Yes. There's elements of horror and of thrillers. But it not really, enough. It, not enough. Not enough. It was trying to be too much at once. I thought, like, it was trying to be a medical I, drama, and it was trying to be a thriller, and it was trying to be a little bit of a horror. I want but those, it couldn't really land on anything. I want those nail biters. I want those nail biting scenes. I want to be right. like on the edge of my seat. That's right. You know, when I'm watching, when I'm watching the thing, 
for a millionth time, and I, I, like I'm sitting next to. I'm sitting on my edge of my seat every time. Right, but if I'm sitting next to my wife and stuff, who's also seen the movie, yeah, she doesn't care for it because she she grew up in a time where like she didn't like older movies. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, oh, watch this next. Yeah, I know, I've seen it. No, just watch it. Wait, that's right. Like, I'm the same way. Yeah. Like, look at it. Yeah. Like, look what they did here. Like, look what they did there. Yeah. You, you know, and then. You're seeing them, like, set these creatures on fire and the movement and stuff. You really think that there's a person, like, See, that was one my, on fire. that was one of my favorite scenes because they had to stunt – they had to set a stuntman on fire. Right. That was a real guy. Yeah. It wasn't a practical effect. It wasn't a, a digital effect. No. A real guy was on fire, and he had to walk through a building. Right. Imagine that's your job. You get set on fire today. Hey, Bob, how's it going today? Oh, I got up set on fire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't wait until tomorrow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the insurance on that guy must have been high. Right? But, like, I, the the original thing will always be a classic. A classic. My, yeah. Like, no matter how many times they remake it, I'll probably still go back to the 1982 the movie. 1982 movie. Right. Always. I mean, even if the next remake is phenomenal, which they could, if they do it right, right. it could be. That's right. If they get Carpenter back to compose it like he did with the newest Halloween, it might be really good. Right. It could be fantastic. Could you imagine if he just, like... Composed it? No. Could you imagine if he remade it and he and he brought back some of the same characters but did it differently? That would be fine. I'd be fine with that, I'd too. I'd be fine with that. Because he learned like, from his mistakes a little bit and then we're right, able to go back like, and redo it. Like, redo it. Still use puppets, but still bring... bring the or, ones that are alive, anyways. Yeah. Or do it with practical effects and cgi and bounce it around bounce so it back and forth so it it's more seamless yeah do some practical but do some cgi and just make it really more seamless because uh, you know Car- carpenter just has that eye that eye and ear that's right for four things that's right and i would kill for both of those oh uh, god uh, i wonder how many times we said thing in this episode if you drink, <laughs> I don't drink. But if you drink and you want to have a shot every time they say the we say the thing in this, you might get. Uh, I'd be drunk. I'd be so drunk right you now. You should do that later. Right. Just listen to the just recap. Listen. As I'm editing this, I'm going to be like, "Okay, the, here's one shot." The thing, the thing, the thing. <laughs> so that was our uh, movie mayhem on the thing. Our next one's going to be Halloween. Yes, another the 1978 classic, I believe, yes. or 77 classic, the Seven, Halloween. Yeah, 77, 78. Yeah. yeah. Another uh, John Carpenter film. Another John Carpenter. We uh, again, we have to. We got to pay homage to this man because he's just—it's good. He's so good at what he does. He brings the heat. Yeah, I mean, he just—I uh, I don't know what to say about the guy. I mean, he really does. Um, I hope you're listening. I—I <laughs> I would die if he, he did. Yeah. Um, but if you do have any ideas for for movies or. or a what, series or, or a director whatever. or anything that you want us to talk about, um, please send us an email or shoot us a direct message on Instagram or yeah, a Facebook fo- message. Follow us on Instagram at my uh, at Minds Captivated on Facebook Captivated Minds and our email is captivatedminds2 at gmail.com. Captivated Minds the number two at gmail.com and I'll have everything linked in the show notes. That thank you. All right, thank you.